Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Perfect. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to Reed Farrell Coleman about sleepless city welcome reed hey dan thanks for having me oh what a pleasure this book was so delicious i enjoyed it i love the play on words for the title is that something that was your decision or how did that come about uh i've named every one of i've titled every one of my books and i will never change a book title because a publisher tells me to because I was trained, the only formal training as a writer I've ever gotten is as a poet. And I, I've always felt the first line of a poem is the title. And so the title for me sets everything that follows. I totally agree. I love it. And I did like the title. And of course, it's The City That Never Sleeps. The book is set in New York. Are you from New York? Well, that's a yes and no, because <laughs> when you're from Brooklyn, you're from Brooklyn. Gotcha. And then you're kind of from New York. So I got yes. you. <laughs> so one of the things that I was very impressed is your ability for voicing. Um, I've been I'm Southern from North Carolina. And while we sound similar, we sound different. Of course, it depends on your race, your religion, your ethnicity. I find that in reading Sleepless City, I hear these voices of people from New York or Brooklyn. Um, do you hear voices? And I sort of make a joke of that, but do you hear your characters' voices? Uh, you know, not to compliment the host of the show too much, but uh, for me, character often starts with voice. Like, um, it, you know, there's the authorial voice you know, so that someone knows it's me writing the book. But for me, how characters sound is what in some ways makes the character. Um, I think writers uh, often focus way too much on the visual. They, you know, we're visual creatures. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you give tons and tons of description, you know, it's lost its noise to, to us. But when people can hear something. I think when you hear a voice or as it's written, mm -hmm. you see more and learn more about a character than you ever will by me spending a page describing the look of the character. I agree with you 100%, and I'm not an authority at this, but that was the thing about your characters. I could actually hear them. So I have a, a long-term friend that's from Brooklyn and she's uh, Italian. And so when she makes spaghetti, she makes gravy for the spaghetti right. instead of sauce or spaghetti sauce or whatever. And that's what I heard in your characters. I mean, Nick Ryan is Irish and I felt that history come with him. And then probably my favorite character may be Lenny. And I heard his voice so distinctively it does that come natural and I, I mean that seriously because i think that it's 
for me, it's a little natural, but I don't know if it's natural for every person. Is it natural as an author for you? Well, it sure is. <laughs> bless your bless your heart. There uh, you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. How do you how do you say fuck you in the South? Exactly. <laughs> bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I've always been able to do voices. And so that helps because I literally sometimes do their voices aloud and I, I hear them speak because I'm speaking what they might say. So, yeah, uh, I, I think it's people are writers are often very afraid of dialogue for 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 lots of reasons, mm -hmm. one of which is dialogue. I think in my books, even if I didn't attribute, you know, he said, she said, Dan said, Pam said, you could tell they were different people speaking. Mm -hmm. Authors often uh, sound, anyone who's speaking sounds like one person speaking. And so I really try very, very hard to avoid that. As a part, they all sound different from each other. And as a reader, for me, that made it so delicious because I do get a feeling for exactly who they are. You know, Ryan is a bit of a smart ass or maybe a whole lot of a smart ass. But at the same time, Ryan is very, very respectful. He understands his lane. He may not always stay in his lane, but when he speaks, I hear him. Um, I did read somewhere that this book was a bit of a departure from what you usually write. Is that true yeah well i'm usually right harlequin romances <laughs> i know better than that <laughs> yeah. well yeah it's a bit of a departure and and here's why uh i have written lots of hard-boiled and noir it's kind of rough brooklyn long islandy type of characters but they have and cops i you know i i'm not a cop never was a cop but i know lots of cops um and the thing is that the, my past characters were very often stumblers. I like to think of them as stumblers. Mm -hmm. they, they had been cops, but only in uniform, so that when they became private eyes, they had no experience at being a detective, which is a very different job than being in uniform. Yes. So uh, Nick is competent. Nick is ultra competent. So it was a real challenge for me who had written 31 previous books, right? To write a character now who isn't stumbling around, who knows how to do what he does, who isn't fearful. And that is actually a huge challenge because it's much easier, much <laughs> easier to write a stumbler because you can put him or her in all sorts of weird inappropriate places because they don't know any better mm -hmm. but nick knows better so when he does something dumb he's doing it on purpose that was a beautiful thing to read too because nick's confidence is is one of the most charming things about him and even though it's not a romance you did write a sexy character because i can't imagine even though at the beginning of the book nick says that he's basically able to blend in, which is a talent and an art all of its own. 
but also people are attracted to him because of his confidence and because he's a handsome man. And that was fun to read because I like all types, whether they're bumblers or confident, but Nick's confidence wasn't cocky. It was sure, which is a very different thing than cocky. So I loved it. Yeah, he, he's not the kind of guy who's going to brag about what he's good at. He just knows he's good at it. You know, by the way, that that's the part of the book when people say, you know, is this autobiographical? I go, yeah, the <laughs> handsome, sexy part. Yeah, that's... that's 100%. Own it, Reed. Own it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's... You gave us a... You gave us... In Ryan, you gave us somebody we could... Uh, Nick Ryan, somebody we could root for. And yet at the same time, he certainly wasn't a perfect character. So was that fun and interesting for you as an author? That is probably the most fun I had because it's a challenge to write a character who does some pretty bad things. Yes. Maybe for the right reasons, but does some pretty bad things. And it's, it's no shock, like early in the book, he's going to execute somebody. He's totally determined to do it. He's made up his mind. It's the right thing to do. Now, we would hate if there were a lot of Nick Ryans in the world deciding. And we, I think, have experienced that in, in our history recently. People who are sure they're doing the, they're, and they mean it, they're doing the wrong thing for the right reason. And that's a challenge to write. It must have been a fun challenge, though. I mean, honestly, it comes out so beautifully, Reed. It really does. So well, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's under that's that's part of also understanding. You know, it's beyond voice. It's understanding your character, and and not wanting to write him as a, a one dimensional. You mm -hmm. know, I hate characters that if you turn them sideways, they become invisible, uh, because there's nothing, no substance to them. And um, so Nick was an interesting challenge in that I had to make, there's a lot of morality in this book. I'm mm -hmm. not preaching, as you can mm -hmm. attest. I detest, detest yes. preachiness, no matter what the, what the point of view is. So there's a lot of morality play in this book. Um, and that, I enjoy that a lot, too. So I asked Jane Harper how she did her writing. And she said that for her, she knew the ending of a book. She knew exactly where she wanted it to end. And then she built it back to the beginning through structure and then sat down and wrote the book all the way through. How is your structure? Do you start at the beginning, the middle, the end? Structure? What's yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know better than that, Reed. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I'm telling you Seriously? that I seriously think about the character. Okay. Think about where the book starts. Okay. And then let the book, then I let myself write the book. I never outline. Um, oh, wow. Right, and, I, and in this book, right, you're going to say, how could you write such a complex book without outlining? Yes. Answer your own question. <laughs> yes. um, drugs. Oh. <laughs> well, this book was definitely a drug for this reader because it was it was amazing. You also 
collect an enormous amount of characters, which sometimes for me as a reader, that can be a lot of fun, can sometimes be frustrating. But here again, all of your characters have their own voice, but you have a, a wide array of characters. So as you said about your structure, do these characters come in as you're writing? Or do you sort of have an idea of you want some of these in? Or how does that work? Um well, I wait for people to pay me to include <laughs> them in the book. And, uh, no, uh, that's it. It's it's and and you know I know a lot. Of, I I trust that you will believe me, and the, the listeners will believe me when I tell you this. Um, so Mac, for instance, mm -hmm. who's a bartender, when I wrote him, he was just the bartender, and as the book progressed. He then changed, and I'm not going to give away what he becomes, but as I'm thinking of what's the opportunity here, that's often what, a, you know, a, a writers will always tell you, um, writing is asking questions and then answering them. Mm -hmm. So the question for me, whenever a character comes on screen, because that's how I think of it, what's my opportunity with this character? Is this character just going to run on stage and say, Hark, I hear the cannons roar, <laughs> which by the way, I never do. To me, there's no such thing as a minor character. Mm -hmm. But when this book began, when I wrote Mac, he was just a bartender. Now, Lenny, on the other hand, the minute I conceived Lenny, he was a complete character to me. So the answer is, which you know you will accept and a lot of people won't, is some of the characters grow as mm -hmm. I write them and I see opportunities for them. And some like Nick and Lenny were there the minute I got their names. I was like, okay, I know this guy's whole backstory. Shana, I knew Shana's whole backstory. But other characters who move in and out, as I wrote the book, that's who they that's who they became. I love that. That's and it, I also like the fact that a lot of authors say, okay, I'm going to switch sort of lanes where this one character is going. And then to be able to do that is a talent because, you know, if Mac is just the bartender and then he grows, then you've got to look at where everyone else is and how they grow as well. There it's, will be a... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. No, no. It's, it's, you know, New Yorkers always stepping on people when they speak. <laughs> Southerners rarely shut up. So <laughs> I have that hard We're time. We're a match, man. <laughs> we are indeed. We are. So, the you know, with Nick and Lenny, you did something that I could see how they could simply be business partners, so to speak. But you gave them such a loving humanity between the two of them that I was I was blown away. There's one there's one part and doesn't give anything away. Um, Nick touches Lenny's face and Lenny has been disfigured in a fire that doesn't give away anything either, I don't think. Um, but the the simple act of him touching his face, it speaks volumes and it. That's something that cropped up so often in this book. The simplest of things spoke volumes. Well, I think the most intimate gesture people have between each other is brushing a cheek. 100%. Or putting, 
putting a stray hair behind someone's ear. I think little gestures. I'm I get choked up thinking about this. <laughs> Uh, and I bet you you do too. I do. I do as well. Um, think the simplest gestures between people. Yep. Give way like just like voice is way more than describing, you know, things for a page, which I don't do, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, I think small gestures, good and bad, mm -hmm. say way more about and move plot along. Like I, you like. Readers know the minute he touches Lenny's face that it's not business. Mm -mm. I didn't have to say, mm -mm. I didn't have to say this is not a business relationship. You know, and that's that's right. And he touches Lenny's face not to get something from Lenny, but simply to have a human moment with Lenny. And that is something that this reader appreciates so much because it. It shows who each of those characters are without you describing it, as you said. You know, yes, the blue the sky could be blue, but you could also give me 87 words on how blue the sky was. All I need to know is the sky was blue, maybe one description and move on. So that your personal touches with all of your characters, not just between Nick and Lenny. I mean, Nick touches so many characters. And such a wide diversity of characters, too. This character, this your protagonist basically is invisible in some ways that he can step into almost everyone's world one way or another. Well, I'll tell you how I learned about invisibility. Um, earlier in my career to make cash, because I, you know, uh, my wife was working and uh, I have, we had two kids who are now all grown, and I'm a grandfather this year. Uh -huh. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, I delivered oil. I was a truck driver and I would deliver home heating oil. And, you know, there are people I would see every other week. And every time they would greet me as if they had never seen me before. So you find out male, male people, mm -hmm. delivery people. Do you know what your Federal Express guy looks like? Do you know what your man, you know what I mean? It's I do. invisibility. People go, oh, you know, that's bullshit. You know, the, mm -hmm. no, Pe there are people you see all the time that if I asked you to describe them, you mm -hmm. never could. 100% agree with you. I do. I find that the average human, and I'm certainly not trying to Put down humankind. Neither no, no, one of us is that. So. No, no, no. But yeah. the average human doesn't really doesn't see. They don't participate in what's going on around them. I have always known that everybody knows when I'm in the room, whether it's my big mouth or whatever it is. I cannot be invisible, but lots of people can be, and that's an art that I won't ever experience in this life, and it's okay. It's like if you're six foot five tall, you never go in a room and hide because you're too tall. It's just the way it is. So, But I do love the fact that your protagonist can hide. Yes, and he's good at hiding. Um, <laughs> but he's all, not only is he good at hiding this, he's good at hiding, as we would say in y Yiddish, his kishkas what's mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. so he's good at that too um but of course there are things which make him vulnerable like shana yes uh and this other character whom we won't mm -mm. discuss 
but you know you keep mentioning there are so many characters right there in this book why this this is the origin story book and so i i'm i know i have one more book at least in the series coming out in 2024 called blind to midnight oh um, i like it yeah um and yeah night themes here in <laughs> <laughs> and the cover will also be black, red, and white. Um, but the first book in a series is world building. Mm -hmm. And so you have to populate it with characters who, in future books, I mean, this is the, you know, the mechanics of the business is I've written a lot of series. And one thing you got to you learn early on when you've done this is let me build more characters in than I can use in every book because maybe two books down the road, that character who doesn't appear in book two but is in book one becomes a very important character in book three or four. So put them in now, use them later. <laughs> well, and of course, uh, that also helps keep the money flowing, hopefully. So, you oh, know, that that's money? the ultimate goal. <laughs> so, so Dan, when's my check for this appearance? <laughs> I, I, I I am about to write it now. It'll be in the mail. Check's in the mail. Reed. I've heard that one before. <laughs> Except I've heard it from publishers. Well, I, sadly, I don't doubt that's the truth. <laughs> So one other thing you do, and so I'm a, what I would call myself a bit of a human GPS. It's both a blessing and a curse. I understand where streets are. I'm very visual. You do something with the areas that you put your characters in that is amazing. And that is, I understand exactly where they are. I understand that pizza restaurant. I understand where the cyclone is. I understand where the highways and roads are. Do you, does that come naturally to you or do you have to do a bit of research to make sure you put them on the right street headed in the right direction? Both. I mean, the answer for me is both. Okay. When, when I talk about Coney Island, where I'm from in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. um, in fact, if you let me show you something. I don't know if you can see this. I have a tattoo. It's of the parachute jump in Coney Island. Oh, how cool. And they, and my kids have this tattoo also. Um, I love my that. Son, my son, and theirs are, have slight variations on it. Uh, my son has it on his forearm, and my daughter has it on her tricep. But it ties us all together. I so love that. when I talk about Totono's Pizzeria mm -hmm. and and Coney Island and where the streets are. I mean, that's where I used to hang out with my friends. We'd get high and go on the cycle. You know? So <laughs> you know, uh, we'd get high, go on the cyclone, and then go eat it in Athens. Yes, so, yeah. So, so that area, I don't really need to research. But when I'm talking about the South Bronx mm -hmm. near Yankee Stadium, although I've been to Yankee Stadium many times. Yes, I'm a Mets fan, but I occasionally go to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> this the street. I'm more interested in what the streets around the stadium look like, mm -hmm. and what. So I want to give you a feel for. Mm -hmm. And I I don't like what I call uh, geography writing. I made a left turn on this street, and then made a right turn on that street, and then you know to prove that you've read a map. You know, I you have to do it a little bit. You do. 
Yeah, but I but, understand. Yeah, I understand when the GTO hits the pothole and it sort of springs yeah. up on the street. Right. I there's probably a pothole right there. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a flavor, and that's, well, that's what's thing. important about to me. Just like with character, in the small gesture way, I want to give an idea of what a place smells like, what a place sounds like, and what it looks like. But mostly, what it sounds and smells like. Sometimes, what it, what things feel like, because again, we're visual creatures. So yeah. if you give people overload people with visual description, they are blind to it. They're deaf to it. I want people to sense other senses other than sight. Right. I think one of your locations, it smelled like seafood and disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit, I think I've been there. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have. <laughs> <laughs> At one time or another. Yeah. So if I ask one final simple question, or maybe it's not simple, um, if you had to describe what the heart of this book is, what would you say the heart of this book is? Oh, that's that is a difficult. It's a simple question with a difficult answer. Um, the desire to do as much good as possible, in spite of the personal cost. Wow! Wow! I. 100% believe that too. That I love very much. Well, thank you. So I'm going to ask you in advance. So will you come back when the next uh, edition comes out? I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> well, <laughs> this was so I, much fun, Dan. Thank you. I, I, I would come, you know, there is, there, I mean, if we've got a minute, um, mm -hmm. You know, there there are times I've made over the over the course of my career. I've been on TV. I've done radio interviews. I've done a hundred of these sorts of things, and the best ones are ones that feel like a conversation between friends. The worst ones are when the producer read a treatment for the book and hands the host uh cards mm -hmm. and you get asked the same dumb questions where <laughs> do you get your ideas from uh, you know so this was a lot of fun for me because it felt like we've known each other forever well and i have been fortunate enough to meet both you and your wife roseanne and i enjoyed that and i enjoyed your book so much it is sleepless city and it is beyond Tremendous. Thank you so much, Reed, for being here. Thanks, Dan. I And I hope, uh, you know, we have a reason to get together soon. It's a deal. Hang on for me just a second. Okay, sure. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at Dan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out with Dan. <laughs>